1: what's going on everyone welcome back to another episode of the shock factor podcast where i'm joined with the ever wonderful michael patrick rooney wearing a phenomenal hat i must say coach rooney thank you how are you doing today
2: if you if people like this hat i've, I've got a guy i know i know a guy <laughs> steven if you like this hat this is just, now in truth like we all know that jennifer rooney j ro is the looks of the operation and the brains technically um and and i her picture with the hat that she's got, the tan hat is amazing, but you know, like this green hat is wonderful and and I will do the best I can to model it this evening.
1: Well, you're wearing it well. Uh, of Thank course, you. the ever well-connected Coach Rooney has all connections. He's got a guy for everything. He's got your college baseball <laughs> hat guy. He's got a guy who can fix your car. Got everything. <laughs> Gotta have a but guy. The- the green's great. It goes with the Notre Dame roots. I mean, it, it thank just you. fits. It fits. It's one size fit all, but it really fits you. <laughs> yeah.
2: Thank you, Steven. You, you don't know how much I'm this, this is uh, life can get a little hectic for all of us. This is my weekly therapy session. You should be invoicing me. Um, I should call you Dr. Shock. This is my weekly positive. It's my weekly therapy session for positivity and college baseball. So thank you in advance.
1: Well, hey, thank you. It's one of those things that's mutually beneficial for me because I love talking with you. It's always fun, keeps me level-headed, keeps me grounded as to what college baseball actually is, opposed to this made-up <laughs> fantasy land I have in my head. And like you, you always bring me right back to Earth, which is great, and I need that. And so I'm more than happy to do it. We, we could do it anytime you want. I'm more than happy to be available.
2: Yes, love that. Well, we much appreciate it.
1: So we want to start off. I got to turn in my homework um, Please. I, as a very punctual student, a scholar athlete before all else. Got to turn in the homework first. So, Coach Rooney, could you remind us of the homework question?
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so, you know, this is a time in college baseball where there's just a lot of swirl. Right. Like there's um, as our good friend Joe Healy would say, the tectonic plates of college sports are shifting under our feet. Now, I don't, you, you neither you nor I, Stephen, really know what that means. But it, the layman's phrase is, "It's a lot of change, right?" Like, hey, we're changing our roster sizes. We're changing how many kids uh, can be on scholarship. We're changing—is a minimum of twenty-five percent—is that blown out of the window because of NIL? There's just all this stuff. So here's here's the thing that happens in college baseball: we have a roster limit of forty players. And that doesn't kick in until January in the spring semester. So what happens is the average, you know, I'm going to say the average fall roster in Division One baseball is 46 players. And so that means six players after the fall season is over, the, you know, that fall period is over. Let's call it Thanksgiving. Uh, and an average of six players will get cut. Um, and that's a tough conversation. And I'm not saying that players not like players are going to get cut in college baseball. That's it's competitive and we get that. My question to Steven was, hey, is this the, if you're, I want Steven to take the player's perspective, which is if you're a player, would you rather get cut after, after the fall in around Thanksgiving, knowing that there are real ramifications there. You can't transfer in January and be eligible. You're gonna have to go to junior college or division two. You kind of, you know, you kind of burnt the year. Um, the other option is you get cut In August, Let's call it like August 10th, where the coaches now know the draft and they have to pick 40 guys right there before school starts. So for a player, that's still terrible, right? Like that's still going to be awful. But now, you know, assuming multiple schools were recruiting you, you're on the phone, you know, the coaches are probably giving you a little bit of a heads up and you're trying to find a home in August where you can be ready to compete in the fall and you have the whole year. So it's it's neither scenario is great. Um, I have an opinion, but I really wanted. I've been thinking of the opinion, pretending that I was the commissioner of college baseball, which, to be clear, I am not. <laughs> and, and you so should be. Ways, I, yeah, I will
1: but, interject. You should be.
2: <laughs> yeah. If there was such a position in my brain, I really am the commissioner of college baseball. Unfortunately, I have no no ruling authority in the <laughs> on the planet Earth. But but in all seriousness, that's what I'm struggling with. Is like I think about what's for the greater good of college baseball, but ultimately, you know need to hear the player perspective and you know like or or at least we need to talk about the player perspective so what what say you steven given those two really difficult choices would you rather be cut at thanksgiving or would you rather be cut august 5th let's call it and you know you're gonna have to scramble to find a home
1: yeah so for me as a player i would choose august 5th hands down bar none just because when, when you get cut by like Thanksgiving and winter break, first of all, it's a total bummer to everybody involved because, you know, you spend the whole time in the fall, like putting this work in and the fall is when nothing is glorious. It's all the grit you're doing all of the, all of you're putting all the work in, sowing your seeds, so to say, so you can see them grow to fruition in the spring. So as a team, you you bond so closely with the guys over fall. And when you go through the tough times is when you really get close with your teammates. And those tough times of 5 a.m. conditioning will really bring a group together. So when you lose guys towards the end of the fall, it, it's a bummer, not just for them, because you know their baseball dreams at that school were pretty much over, but it's a bummer for a lot of the team too. Cause you know, whether you're just at practice with these guys, hanging out with them during BP or, you know, you're, you're getting after it on the weekends with them, whatever it is, you are close with these guys and they're part of that mm-hmm. family. So when someone gets cut, it really feels like the family just lost a brother, so to say. And so that's why I think August 5th would be a better time to do it. I understand coaches need to keep guys and see like, oh, well, which guy is going to be our 40, 40th guy, you know, who, who's going to mm-hmm. fill that role. And, you know, it may not seem like anything huge, but come postseason and come Omaha time, that, that 40th guy's playing a huge role no matter what, what position he is, if he's a pitcher or DH or whatever. They, they're going to need all 40 guys. But I just think it's so much better for the players to have that opportunity to go somewhere else and prove themselves, especially after getting cut, because there's an extra little bit of motivation, I would say, in the mm-hmm. sense of, like, okay, well, these guys thought I wasn't good enough. Like for me getting recruited out of high school, I had one offer um, and I took it. And for me, a lot of my motivation in working college baseball wise was like, okay, well, I got however many teams. I, th- I know it's around 300 teams. I got to prove were are idiots for not taking. It. So right. it, that kind of went in and like it kind of adds to the chip on the shoulder that a lot of baseball players already have. So I think getting cut in August gives you that time to say, okay, I'm going to scramble to find either junior college or another school, but someone out there is going to need my talent. And I want to go help that team either win, win ball games or just develop as a player so I can come back next year and say, hey, look, you guys said I wasn't good. Now I am good. Now you want me. You can't have me. So, you know, and I mean, you know, me on a personal level, you know, that's kind of just my mindset. I I love the pre woman references of the, you know, I had the glow up and everything. So it's just one of those things where I think ethically, it makes sense to me to do it early. I understand coaches have jobs to do and, you know, it can't always work out that way, but I I think if there's no shot, like if you have six guys and you're like, these guys are definitely not going to play. First of all, why'd you ask them to come there? But that's another thing. Obviously guys change and you know, some guys peak early and that happens. But I, I think if it's six guys fighting for a spot on the team, as long as it's, if you have 46 guys, if you have seven guys fighting for that last spot, those seven guys will end up being better than guys number 38, 36 and 37 in my mind. Like just because Mm -hmm. they have that extra eon of, Oh, I got to get this done. They have that deadline there, but all in all, I think the best way to go about it is just being upfront with the guys and saying like, Hey, look over summer, you didn't perform great in the spring. You didn't, I mean, whatever your scenario was, it was, but it, it's just something where I think there needs to be a line drawn to where there is that transparency because I mean 40 guys is a lot of guys on a still college baseball number. roster. Yeah. Like yeah. there only nine
2: guys play at a time. Um, yeah. and, so, and Steven, you referenced the postseason, like only 27 guys get to wear a uniform for the postseason. So 40 is still 13 guys that are gonna have a you know be in the stands during regionals. And you know, I've been looking hard at how many guys actually You know, get it like I'm counting players like if you got one at bat last year or you threw one inning was my bare minimum deal. And, and, you know, like only about 35 kids on a roster in on average, even get one at bat or throw one inning. So even 40 gives you five kids that are going to literally not do anything all year. And so, and again, I don't want to portray this as coaches doing anything wrong. They're not like, this is something that the governing body of college baseball, which there is really no such thing, but whoever <laughs> is going to be that, like they should set rules. Coaches need to do what's in the best interest of their program, according to the rules and having 46 guys in the fall is 100% according to the rules. And, you know, I, I think coaches, you think about, it's just hard to figure out who's going to be going where in the draft. But I also think the other thing that colors my judgment, Stephen is, hey, getting cut in August is not a life sentence, right? The transfer portal means that if, you, if, if University of Shock cuts me in August, I can go to Rooney College and ball out, and then Shock University can come get me after the season. Um, you know, and then the other thing is, I don't know if you ever did this in your transfer uh, life, but, I mean, I saw kids transfer in January. It's hard, you know, like, especially for position players, because now – Like, let's say I'm a shortstop and I transfer into a junior college in January, man, like there's a, there's a kid that won that job all fall, spent four months busting his hump winning that job. And, and I get it. Like it's Darwinism and killer be killed. I get all that, but it's like, now I'm going to slide right in and take that job from him. Man, that is, you talk about chemistry killer. That is, that's a rough scene.
1: And it's hard to do too, because there's so little time in that time frame of like, especially if you're going to a JUCO transferring, because you know they start their games in like February. Like they yeah. don't. Yeah, you the, get like five minutes to get going. Yeah, it does not get cold at junior college baseball games. It, it yeah. definitely does. They just they're grittier people than I, and they deal with it, yeah. but, but I, I only have one problem with what you said. And that's the fact that there's a shock university and a Rooney university, and that we didn't have some way to merge into one <laughs> university. And Oh, two, two problems. The other problem is I don't have the heart to cut kids. I wouldn't be able that's to right. do it. Uh, yeah. High school baseball tryouts were very hard for me this year. Um, oh, I can imagine. I, it's the yeah, worst. I, it is I the cried a the worst. Bit. Yeah. It, it's ruthless. It's ruthless. It's the, worst. It's the fortunately, worst. there's a lot of good kids who handle it well, but I <laughs> I don't yeah. have the skin for it. Getting cuts no fun.
2: Worst part of the job. It's so bad. Yep. Amen. But
1: but hey, let's let's move into something that is a little bit more fun, a little bit more exciting. There's a lot of coaching changes over the offseason. Yep. A lot. Kendall was active, actively updating the coaching carousel on one baseball.com. Highly recommend you subscribe to the site can't can't recommend it enough but in that carousel there were a lot of people and I want to ask you coach Rooney of the coaches the head coaches who are you
2: most excited about that's a great question you know it's always I always this is a sensitive topic for me because like every coaching changes are interesting right because it's part funeral part wedding right like it's hey like if you coach long enough you're getting fired I've been fired we all get fired like that's part of the deal um, I guess if you're Augie Garrido, you don't get fired, right? Like the great, late, late, great Augie Garrido, but you know, like it's so, so it's an, it's a staff that's moving on and then it's the excitement of the new staff. Like the, the, even though we're sad for the previous staff and, and concern for them and the change for their families, it, you're, you're rightfully excited for the new staff, right? Like that's, that's the whole deal. So I picked two Steven and, and the first one is Jordan Bischel is the new head coach at Cincinnati and Cincinnati's going to the big 12, which is a big leap for them. I mean, that is, that, that is a, you know, that that's going to be a real challenge and that's no offense to the American, but the big 12 is going to be man. That conference is for real in baseball. I just think Jordan Bischel, is amazing. He's very creative. He did an incredible job at central Michigan. His teams play with tons of, I mean, nobody has more fun on a baseball field in Central Michigan. They got props, they got dances, um, but they also play seriously cool baseball, like home runs, bunt for hits, stolen bases. Um, They're really good on the mound. So Jordan Bischel's like one of those coaches that's really threaded the needle on um, having fun, but playing like serious for keeps baseball. So I'll save my second one, Stephen. But um, Jordan Bischel is, I think that's an unbelievably good hire by Cincinnati.
1: That's a great first answer to the chips play baseball fast. Like yes. when I think of them, the first thing I think of, it was a regional. I want to say in 2022, one of their hitters got plunked by, I think they were at Mississippi state. I want to say he got plunked by some upper nineties below. He goes down and like, he's like rolling around. He he sells it so well. He immediately after like a second, as soon as everyone's like, uh Oh, he stands up dead sprint to first base. The dugout's going nuts. It's one All of those time
2: great clips. All time great. So yes. college
1: baseball things that I love. And, yes. you know, a lot of that come that comes from the top most of the time. Like that, that type of toughness, that character of, you know, we can goof around as long as we're going 100 miles an hour. Sign yeah. me up. So great yes. answer there. Thank the you. one I'm most excited about and this is weird for me because I never really talk about Maryland much, but Matt Swope at Maryland. I, I just think that's such a good hire, a guy who he's been associated with Maryland baseball for like the past two decades. He graduated or even more than that. Cause he graduated in 2003 and he was just with the program at pretty much ever since. And I, I think it's something that is so good for schools when they can hire someone within, because you know, when you hire outside, not that they're, it's a bad thing, but a lot of the times they can be people who don't understand the identity of the college. And Matt Swope, someone who he went to Maryland, he went to RJ Bentley's. He knows what's going on down there. RJ Bentley's is a huge bar in Maryland. When I played for the Bethesda big train, I had three teammates who went to Maryland and we would frequent there often. A lot of fun, but uh so Matt Swope knows the town He knows what's going on. I'm, I'm not saying this coach was in a bar all the time. I don't know him personally, but every guy I've known from Maryland has said they really liked him. And so that's why I'm excited about it. I, I think guys who really care about the school and have put that time in deserve that.
2: Super cool. You know, in Maryland, to your point, Stephen, like Maryland had struggled in baseball forever and ever and ever. And they hired Eric Bakich and, he started to get the ball rolling forward and then eric backage goes to michigan they hire john chef and this is where it really starts like go to those two super regionals in 2014 and 2015 you remember like guess who they played virginia and both of those super regionals and and it was kind of unfortunate like that was bad luck for them but but what was cool was rob vaughn who was john chef's assistant then got to take over and then Rob Vaughn takes it to the next level. So it's like Eric Bakich gets it kicked off, and then John Chef takes it to the next level. Rob Vaughn takes it to the next level, and and I'm with you. Like Coach Swope is that that's really smart because he's been there and he's been able to see that trajectory. And um, I mean, this is crazy. Maryland has not lost a Big Ten series in three years. They haven't lost a Big Ten series since I, I want to say the the 2021 in like April. So and they won't lose one until 2024. So just incredible. Um, what they've done there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible that you just know stuff like that off the top of your head. (laughs) Every episode, there will be at least one moment where I go, how does Mike Rooney know that? And this is that moment of, how does Mike Rooney know that? I don't know. You just gotta respect it. Yeah.
2: Well, let, see, let, that, let's, that nugget's not as good as you helping me remember the visual of the central Michigan player getting absolutely dosed and then sprinting to first base in Starkville. That was amazing. Look, All we both
1: we, we both bring a little bit to the table. And I think those are great examples of what we both bring respect. I love it. So so, so who's your second mystery coach that you're excited about?
2: Yeah. So Todd Enernanto is going from Wofford to Boston College. And you know, like Mike Gambino leaving Boston College for Penn State. Is a really tough loss for BC, but I just think that programs made a ton of uh, progress under coach Gambino, and you know the facilities way improved, I mean they were this close to hosting a regional up there, which would have been so cool they would have had Yukon and Northeastern it's right on campus. Um, that would have been amazing, but that said, Todd Interdonato is a really um, cerebral coach. And his Wofford teams have been winning 35 plus games for a while now. They've won 40 games a couple times, which is really hard to do. And what I love about Wafford is that they they don't they don't they're not getting the plug and play marquee recruits. So Todd and Renato and JJ Edwards, who they promoted, which they absolutely should have at Wafford, what they did is they targeted, you know, they they just got out of the box thinking. And right. And so they have a ton of low slot jokers on the mounds, you know, like kind of those submarine sidearm guys. Like my good man, Steven Shock. And then they <laughs> run, they run like crazy. They like, they use the running game to disrupt other teams. And so I just, I love how unconventional Todd Indernanado is. And I think it was a, an incredible hire by BC.
1: Yeah. And speaking to that development happening at Wofford, I mean, I feel like the past two seasons, every time there's been like a stud at a new school, and they're like, oh, yeah, he transferred in from Wofford. So it's like the talent yeah. is either getting made or he's just great at spotting it. But I, I really like that too. Inter Donato, that's fun to say.
2: Um, it is fun to say. It, it's a lot I'm of gonna, syllables.
1: Yeah, that's kindergarten might've been rough for form. Um, that's a lot of letters.
2: <laughs> T.I., I bet you that's very awesome.
1: Yeah, just T.I., skip it there. But yeah. no, I think that's a great hire as well. And I think Boston College has been trending upwards in my mind just over I mean, the leaps they made from 2021 to where they are now has yeah. been really impressive. And so they've been, they've been fun to watch. And I know they've invested a lot in their facilities there, too, which has been really cool to see. Like they have new Pete Fradys Center with like so big good. indoor batting cages, great, great uh, locker room for the team. So they're they're investing a lot in Boston College, it seems like. And they're making intelligent decisions, which one of my best friends was their closer. So that makes me happy. <laughs>
2: Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, it's it's weird because Boston, you, you know, Stephen, I'm a I'm a Notre Dame football junkie. I was raised on it. And Boston College football versus Notre Dame football. They call the you know, some people call it the Holy War, the Boston College football fee people. They get all upset about Notre Dame football. So it, it, I feel like I'm being the bigger person right now, uh, giving Boston College baseball a genuine compliment, which I do mean sincerely. I think it's an awesome program. But if you're a Boston College football fan um, out there, you can go fly a kite. I, I'm here for Boston College baseball, not for Boston College football. Just so yeah. we're aware.
1: We're here for one thing, and that's college baseball. That's, you know, that's where we'll be yes. equal to everybody. College football, Rooney's got to draw his
2: lines. That's I, right. Uh... That's right.
1: That's right. <laughs> now, yes. moving on, of course, there were some great head coach hires. But also, we got to talk about some of the other guys, some of the auxiliaries. And I wanted to start off this week by talking about some pitching coaches we're excited about. So do you want to kick us off with that one? Because you got two for that as well. I came with one. You are just a prepared man, and I expected that. So I'll I'll let let my answer go in a Rooney answer sandwich here.
2: That's right. Rooney sandwich here. So yeah, so uh, Jeff Opeluski is the new pitching coach at Long Beach State. Now, you noticed, Stephen, that I stumbled over his last name. You know why? Because we don't call him Coach Opeluski. We call him Ope. Everybody calls him Ope. And so uh I, I don't I think that might be the first time I've ever pronounced Ope's full last name. Ope is an awesome dude. Uh he ironically coached at Central Michigan many moons ago. It just he's one of those guys where you never I, I never found anybody that that didn't just love the dude. And I remember long time ago doing Mac, you know, at Mid-American conference previews and calling Ope, and he was just like so locked in. Like he could tell you in the in and out of the whole conference in one phone conversation and so you follow his career he actually took some time off from coaching in college to work at img and he got an opportunity at long beach state this year which you know i know this is a rebuild at long beach state and they're kind of this this could be a tweener year for them but it just, I just i i think so highly of Ope, and i think he's a very talented pitching coach and they do typically pitch very very well at long beach state so i'm really interested to see how he does i'm, I'm clearly rooting for him because he's a, an incredible guy
1: well, that makes me really happy to hear just because I I don't know much about Ope, but now I want to look, look him up more and I, I will research him. But Long Beach State is one of those schools like Cal State Fullerton in my mind where college baseball is just so much better when they are good. It, it's yeah. a lot more entertaining. I mean, a team named the Dirtbags and your college baseball players, you, you can't beat that. You know, that's like the best. I I think it's so unique, just the story of them earning that team nickname sort of thing of, yeah, we were the only only sport that got real dirty. So we are the dirt bags? Everybody else is. I don't I don't even care. to Learn everybody else, because when you're at the top, you just stay there and enjoy. You appreciate what's in front of you. And I, I think that's just such a good identity for a baseball
2: team no doubt no, 100 and they've had stars Stephen like 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 Long Beach State isn't this cute and Fullerton too I mean it's easy to forget Fullerton has four national titles in college baseball four of them and then Long Beach State like some of the dudes they produce I mean Jason Giambi Jared Weaver Evan Longoria and Troy Tulowitzki played on the same team that was the left side of the <laughs> infield one year at Long Beach State so they're not like you know, I, I know things have changed since that era a little bit, but man, this is not some cute little story like they are. That is a legit program.
1: Yeah. And I, I I think they'll get back on track here soon. For me, the guy I'm very excited about is a guy who is new to the college baseball coaching ranks. And that is Max Wiener, who got hired for Texas A&M. He uh, he why I'm excited about this is he came from the Mariners, where he was the Pitch coordinator for uh, for their main team for the actual Mariners, not just in the organization. And I love guys who are willing to say, you know what, I this is a great job, but I'm going to try something new here. I'm going to try something different and do it at the college level. And it makes me even happier when that's someone who graduated FIU in 2017. He's oh my gosh, fresh out. Like his resume, he graduated FIU, became the MI became the minor league pitching coordinator for the Guardians, then became the pitch coordinator for the Mariners and assistant coach at Texas A&M in 2023. He was with the Mariners from 2019 to 2023 as their pitch coordinator, which two years out of college is insane to, to be at that rank. But to have a guy who graduated college seven years ago coaching these guys is so valuable just because, one, obviously you see his resume. He knows what he's doing. Like there's no question there, but when you're a young guy, who's just gone through the college process, you get it. You can relate to these players on a level that not many other coaches can at this point. And it's something that I think, especially as a young coach, you got to take advantage of. And mm-hmm. I, I've seen some statistics that I'll bring up later in the podcast. they're, they're he, He's making the most of his opportunities down there from what I'm seeing. And I, I'm just really excited. I think Texas a and is a program that's been so good the past couple of years. And historically it's has just been so good. So I think adding another weapon to the, to the arsenal is just kind of unfair, but I'm here for it. I am all yeah. here for
2: it. God, that's, I didn't realize he was that young, Steven. That is so cool. And I'll tell you, like, I don't know, like if Max, Wiener just knocked on my front door right now, Steven, I wouldn't know him. I don't, I've never met him, but I'll tell you two things is when you get the type of jobs that he got in pro ball at that young age, you're no joke. And like he was in like the Mariners, the guardians, those are organizations that take it. They they all take it very seriously, but those are very progressive um, organizations. So, you know, the dude is sharp as heck. And then the other thing is Jim Schlossnagel, like he's as good of a CEO as we have in college baseball. Like, you know, Jim Schlossnagle the guy that he's got a list of 10 pitching coaches right now that he will hire when Max Wiener becomes the pitching coach of the Philadelphia Phillies. Right. Like it's uh, Jim Schlossnagle doesn't miss a trick. So if, if, if Max Wiener passed that test, you know, he's for real.
1: Exactly. And I, I think just it's such a good combo, too, because Schloss is kind of I feel like he's kind of seen as one of the more old school type of coaches. And you bring in a totally new guy. I, I wonder if it'll change the dynamic at all. If maybe Coach Wiener's like presence will soften him up, not soften him up like he's a hard but just make him see that, you know, the game's changing. And how can I keep up with the times and how can I relate to the next generation of ball players. And I think that's going to be something that he's going to learn a lot from Coach Wiener. He already knows how to do it, obviously, having success at the college level. But having a young coach there to help bridge that gap, too, I I just think is so valuable.
2: Amen. Amen. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a
0: couple ads from our sponsors. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
2: Uh, Should I do my second guy, Stephen?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Okay, so so Rob Childress, remember, had been a head coach at Texas A&M. And every year from 2007 to 2019, they made a regional, which is an incredible streak when you're talking about the SEC. They went to a bunch of super regionals. They went to Omaha twice. And a even though it's a school with great tradition, they didn't have like this uh, they, they had a good baseball tradition under Mark Johnson, but they weren't going to Omaha like every you know three years or anything like that. They just had a very winning program. And I felt like Rob Childress legitimately took it to the next level. Like he did an awesome job there. Um, and that's no disrespect to Coach Johnson, who I think is amazing. It was almost like Coach Johnson planted the, planted the, the crop and Coach Childress kind of took it to the next level. But we know in the SEC, you know, like it's, you know, the, the standards are – you know, knock the breath out of your chest type of stuff. So Coach Childress um, ends up, his tenure comes to an end at a They don't renew him. And then um, he goes to Nebraska. And that was a trip home for him because when I was cutting my teeth as a coach, Dave Van Horn had become the head coach at Nebraska in the late 90s. And Nebraska was an absolute non-factor in baseball. They were the bottom of the Big 12, absolutely not competitive. And Um, Dave Van Horns hired Rob Childers to be his pitching coach Mike Anderson he kept as his you know recruiting coordinator and and Stephen I'm telling you Nebraska got good in like a blink and they were they were gnarly like they were good they were in your face like. They were two strikes. They're standing like it, with two strikes. They would straddle home plate if the umpire let them like they were. I heard coaches say you're better off against Nebraska. Don't even get their hitters to two strikes. Just try to get them out with no strikes. It, it is like they're, they're, they're choked up holding the barrel of the bat. So anyway, you know, like they were, they became this famous mythical team at Nebraska. And for someone on the West Coast, I'm like, you, you see these coaches at recruiting events and you're like, I'm sorry, fellas. Are you, are you talking about Nebraska? What, have you been drinking? Like what, do do you have cough syrup in your bag right now? What what are you talking about? They're terrible, right? And and that's harsh, I, I should a little bit more it's hyperbole it's hyperbole you know yeah yeah it is hyperbole. Really well said but anyway they got good man and then next thing you know they're going to super regional next thing you know, they go to omaha in 2020 uh, 2000 and 2001 they went again in 2005 under coach anderson and so i never forgot that rob childress was really his fingerprints were all over that besides dave Van horn and so now he's back in nebraska and he's going to be the pitching coach this year and i would be absolutely shocked if the Nebraska pitchers don't absolutely get after it this year, I just, I think so highly of coach Childress. And um, I, I thought that was really cool to see him, you know, he kind of took a couple of years and was behind the scenes at Nebraska. And now it looks like he's going to like fully run the pitching staff. And I think it's going to be great.
1: Yeah. And I, I honestly, I feel like the guys who are around like, hard-nosed baseball is as contagious as the flu. Like when you're around it, it gets ingrained in you. And so I feel like as a pitching coach, having, I always liked the pitching coaches that were kind of mean to me sometimes. Um, (laughs)
0: Like the
1: ones who would like, You know, they would talk trash during inner squads to motivate you like that, that type of mean, not like, hey, Steve, your bullpen sucked today (laughs) because
2: that's not really mean. That's just that's not even constructive.
1: Yeah, that's just all right, I'll I'll transfer or something. But like the coaches that have that hard nosed baseball like ingrained in them, it's just something that's so valuable to teams, especially a pitching coach who's like they're kind of behind the scenes, but they're going to. I, I always love the dynamics of pitching coaches and hitting coaches going back and forth during inner oh, so fun yeah because it's like, okay, am I doing a better job than you or are you doing a better job than me developing these guys? And so I feel like he he's the type of dude who would be perfect for those situations of the these are my guys. I'm proud of my guys and I think my guys are better than your guys. and yes. And I, I just – that's one thing I love about fall ball, and it's another great thing about this season. But I, I'm excited about Rob Childress at Nebraska. You, yeah, you have and, sold and,
2: me. Yeah, and he's very classy, too, Stephen. Like, you know, he's – I'm sure when he was in his 20s and 30s, the crap talking was, like, at a different level. But he's – you know, Coach Childress – hey, and by the way, like, the pitchers he's put in the big leagues – like, I'm, I just pulled up a list right now. Michael Waka, Ross Stripling – Daniel Megden, um, you know, A.J. Minter, Corbin Martin, uh, Bryce Miller. I mean, you know, like Ryan Hendricks, like he they they really pitched at a high level at a Um, and I just think it was an amazing hire by Nebraska.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about that. Well, let, let's move along here, and now we got the surprise questions for you. Where mm. You you gave me a teaser, but I don't have the full question yet, but I'm going to hit you with my question because it kind of aligns with what we were talking about in Coach Max Weiner. I saw a graphic that Texas A&M has had 14 players throw 95 miles an hour or harder on the mound, eight of them being freshmen. Wow. My question to you is what is the fastest like per capita pitching staff you think we've or hardest throwing pitching staff we've had in college baseball? And if that question is too specific cuz I was I was thinking about that and I was like I don't know if there's a way to quantify that. My other question is what do you think is going on development-wise that guys are throwing this hard? Like how do we get here?
2: Yeah, that's a so you know it's interesting. The I think the the, there's the reason guys are throwing so hard is because everything is better, right? Like, and I don't know you. I feel like you're kind of the tweener there, Stephen, where you like kind of got to see both of it. But you know, like for instance, the you know what's not better than it was 20 years ago? Conditioning is smarter. um, Diet is smarter. Arm training is smarter you know, strength training is smarter, everything, you know, weighted balls, the whole nine yards. So that is, I think that is, um, you know, everything's just better. Like kids are bigger, they're trained better. You know, we just, we've gotten smarter in every way. I think, um, you know, velocity is easier to track. When I was a kid, like you might've had a a radar gun at one out of every 10 games. Now you have a radar gun in your backyard, right? Like it's <laughs> so, but I think so so you asked me the other fun part. So I think it's that that's what's going on. Everything is just bigger and better, um, including the humans. And I, I think so so this was interesting. I remember a few years ago getting in a discussion and it was like, what's the hardest throwing rotation in the history of college baseball? And I remember the two schools that came up were Florida and Vandy. And I feel like Vandy was um, you know, Walker Bueller and Carson Fulmer were on that staff together. Um ridiculous. The, yeah, Florida had so many pitchers going together that it was really um hard to track. But like Florida, I'm trying to pull up Florida's big leaguers and the pitchers, you know, like Pete Alonzo's kind of become one of the more famous ones. But let me see if I can, you know, I'm thinking about that staff with um oh Jackson Kowar Hey, AJ Puck pitch there. So let me see if I can find that staff while we're talking the um but that that's it's it's one of those I mean they those are the two teams that have really dominated pitching in the in college baseball in the last you know I don't know what do we want to call it like you know 15 years and uh I don't know it, it it's it's one of those two steps. I'm going to find it. This is going to eat me up. This is fun. This is a great question.
1: <laughs> if, if there were one man who could actually answer this question, I know I'm speaking to him right now. So I, I'm excited to, to kind of learn more about this topic. I mean, Pete Alonzo really has kind of become the face of Florida baseball and mm-hmm. it, it's been really cool i i love the story of his teacher telling him his paper wasn't realistic enough because he wanted to play in the big leagues <laughs> so especially because it's like hey i'm playing in the big leagues i want a million bucks just for hitting a bunch of home runs in it in a contest that none of the home runs even counted but i got a million dollars from it like no it might not have been realistic but he's living it now and that's sick
2: <laughs> yeah let me give you some of these pictures so um Sean Anderson through a million miles an hour, A.J. Puck, obviously in the big leagues, Brady Singer, Dane Dunning at one point, let's call it 2016. Dane Dunning was Florida's Tuesday guy. Jackson Kowar was a freshman on that team. I mean, Alex Fieto was on that team. That's probably the team. Florida's 2016 team. um, Again, you're talking about Sean Anderson, A.J. Puck, Dane Dunning, Jackson Kowar and uh, Alex Fieto. And and uh, Brady Singer, that's got to be one of the hardest throwing pitching staffs in the history of our sport.
1: Man, yeah, I, I would believe you there. I mean, that's going to be hard to top. And I, I love your answer being the fact that you know a lot of it's just players have left the game better than they found it, development wise as well. Where it's you know this workout, oh this workout sucks for your arm. Actually, do this one because it's going to benefit your arm in the long run. And it's like a lot of it two I feel like is guys coming before us who were injured and like they were like hey this is what caused my arm to have this pain doing workouts like this so whatever you do don't do them learn from my mistake and be better and I think that's just the nature of baseball that I really love especially college baseball is there's so many proud alumni who just they they really just want to leave the jersey better than they found it and I think that's why so many of these programs have success, you know, the ones with deep rooted traditions really have that. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons the development of pitchers has just been so much better.
2: Yeah. Even with all that velocity though, Steven, every good team has a low slot joker like yourself. You got to have <laughs> oh. that. You got to change that look, man. Right.
1: You got to, you got to, you got to have a human change up every once in a while. I I remember my decision to drop down was my sophomore year of high school I had a pitching coach who worked with team USA and he was like, have you ever just tried bending at the hips? I was like, no. And he goes, well, okay. So there's probably 10,000 right-handed pitchers in your class right now. Do you think you're in the best 10% of that? And I was like, no, no, absolutely not. He was like, how many submariners do you think there are that are your age? I was like, <laughs> I I've seen maybe three. And he goes, I, I think you could be the best. At least top 300 at that because there aren't that many, and every team has at least one. And I was like, okay. And the next summer, David Berg, who I actually have his
2: card right here, yes,
1: every day, Dave, literally the legend. I remember I was at a travel ball tournament at Coastal Carolina University, and all my team was out go karting. I didn't want to go kart. The College World Series was on Coastal or uh, UCLA was playing in this hotel. And or it was on the TV. They did not play in a hotel that would have been very difficult. They were in TD Ameritrade Park. That's but right. <laughs> but I remember watching – he was he was out there just slipping it in at 83, and I was like, well, why can't I do that then, you know? So yeah. it, that's – he's one of my favorite people. I actually played for him. He was my pitching coach in it with um, no Jerry Weinstein. It was an all-star what cast stat. of coaches. Yeah, so we had Mike Roberts, Jerry Weinstein, and David Berg. Like oh we're the gosh. three people I was associating myself with every day. Like, yeah, some Yes. Yeah, I, I remember I met him the first day I was up there, and like they were like, "Oh, this is David Burke. He's a fellow a submariner." I was like, oh, "I know." I kept my cool. I didn't go crazy. I waited till like <laughs> probably two weeks into the season, and then one day he told me to get hot, and I just was like, "You're the reason I do
2: what I do." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Can I ask some follow-up questions, Stephen? Absolutely. Oh, I didn't know you had a connection to David Berg. That that is amazing. Uh, that just made my week. Okay. So my two follow-up questions are the Ketuit Kettleers. Kettleers is 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 that's that's not easy on the on the on the tongue. Are we calling ourselves the cats or what do we do? What do we do? Oh yeah, yeah. The cats.
1: We're the cats. It's here come the kettles or the cats. It's all cats, yeah. Because okay. kettleers okay. It's a lot of syllables that just don't really match in my mind, yeah. I would say. Just the sounds that I went to speech therapy as a child, and I'm sure I could do a if I did a deep rooted analysis, I could get there, but I'll spare, I'll spare the listeners.
2: Yeah. I whoever came up with that name, no offense, but you didn't think it through. Like a is just not a keeper. Um, but cats I like. Okay. So my second follow-up question is: where was your original arm slot? Were you like way over the top? Or were you kind of like three-quarters anyway? Or what was oh. your I would say
1: I was probably just a I was probably dead on three quarters, but I was dead on getting rocked all the time. (laughs) Like
2: not going well.
1: As a freshman, I hit 85 like I was a big guy. I could throw it pretty hard. But then my pitching coach, he was one of the few people in the area who had a radar gun because, you know, I'm not I'm not that old, but that's the time I was playing in. And yep. he radared me up top. I hit 83, and then he radared me down low, and I hit 81. And he was like, do you think that'll work? I was like, I think so. And then the very first game that season was against Gilman, where we played against uh, – their their team was stacked. They had a kid going to South Carolina, and then they had this one kid, Gavin Sheets, very good baseball player. Whoa, played, at Wake played Forest,
2: Yeah, he's been in the
1: big leagues. He Playing against him in high school – horrifying because he's the exact same size and i played some of like yeah i played like one game with him he like was a taxi player for a summer ball team i was on because he was just bored i guess and he hit a fly ball that probably went 400 feet there was no fence it was in lancaster pennsylvania where fences don't exist apparently and he had an inside the park home run because no one could see it because it just went so high like it it was insane but I got him to ground out the first base the first time I tried it, and I was like, "Okay, we're we're keeping this forever." Because like, he was like a legend. Like getting big name guys out is like a career moment for you, you know. And that's so, awesome. so that's that's when I was like, "Okay, we'll commit to this." My my coach was right. <laughs> that is great.
2: Oh, Stephen, can I ask you my surprise question? Or- yes, please do. Yeah, I gave you a little appetizer on it, but so here's my question. I was thinking about Wake Forest. And you and I both got to uh, interview Coach Moose this fall, which was, I, I both conversations were amazing. He is really, like, Corey Muscara is, there is so much substance there. Like, he is so, I, I don't know, that he, I was blown away with by my conversation with him. So here's what I, you know, Wake Forest is this program just absolutely in fuego right now. And, you know, they're known for the pitching lab. And Tom Walter, their head coach, I heard him interviewed once, and he said, hey, like, we're really teaching our pitchers about three things. There's three areas or can you manage the game of baseball? Like there's a game going on. Like you've got to hold runners and you've got to back up bases and you've got to field bunts and field, you know, you've got to you gotta field your position, right? So it's like you gotta learn the game. So there's that part. And so when you hear from Tom Walter, and he starts with the game. You're like, whoa, where's all the science and the lab? Right. Like, I thought we had Bunsen burners going here. Right. So, when the first thing out of his mouth, he talks about the game, you're like, okay, an old fart like me, you're like, okay, this is now you have my attention. He said, so first thing we got to work with the guys on is the game. Right. The second thing we want to help them understand is how does the ball, you know, behave? So, when you throw the ball, Stephen, what does the ball do? What are the principles of the ball that leaves your hand? And that's, You know, I was like, okay, that doesn't feel overly like I don't feel lost yet. You know, like that's encouraging. I like I like that. And then he said, we got to help the guys. So we got to help the guys understand the game. We got to help the guys understand what the ball does when it leaves their hand what are the properties of their pitches. And then we got to help them understand how their bodies are moving. So how, how are you moving? How's the ball moving? And then what's going on in the game? And, and so I'll, tell, I'll give you my answer, Steven, and then I'm going to ask you my question. So those are the three things. When I was a college player, I didn't have a great baseball background. So when coaches talked to me about my body, I was immediately lost. Like they said, you got to throw your hands as a hitter or they, you know, like hit with your hands, your hand, your swing needs to be more handsy. Or they said, your, 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 your hips got to turn. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know if I could show you where my hips are on my body let alone manipulate them to do whatever you just said. Like whenever coaches were talking about like body aptitude, I was like, I would just have to fake it. I would just have to nod up and down knowing in my brain that I have no idea what this human just said to me. Uh, And so my question to you is like, you were kind of in the transition of those two eras, but like if you were, if you were 19 all over again, which of those three things do you think would have resonated? Do you think like you would have really enjoyed understanding what your body was doing and by the way video started to change that i was on the the end of where i was at the time when video was just starting to happen um so your body how how the ball is behaving or just the game what do you think is the part that you would have like taken to and is there a part that you would have been like me and had to just pretend that you understood
1: i that's a great question i really love your question was much more well researched much more background so this is like a In high school, we had these things called database questions, which was like they'd give you information. You had to decipher the information. This is like a baseball DBQ, and I'm all here for it. Um, But I think the thing that would have resonated most with me was probably understanding how my pitches move. Because, you know, for me, I didn't have like the luxury of every game having laser shot at every ball I threw telling me how much it spun, how much the scenes were on it and the emotions of the baseball as it travels to the plate. Like it, it's crazy. The data we can pick up on now. All I had was if I was lucky, the game was streamed on ESPN plus, And if I was lucky, one of my friends paid their ESPN plus subscription and I still had their login, then I would okay. be able to watch how my pitches worked. like Body wise, I don't know what it was, but like when I pitched for whatever reason, I would have these random moments where like, I kind of saw myself in the third person doing it. It's very strange. I think my brain's just like, I I don't know how it happened or what was going on. I wasn't on drugs. I promise like the I made sure of that, but it was like an outer body experience sometimes when I was out on the mound. So like, I think being able to watch the video so often was something that really helped me with that in the sense that every, after every game comes sophomore season, because, you know, I took a year off because I transferred D one to D one. So fortunately ESPN had time to catch up and I could get video of the retrievers every weekend and see how I did. But I think understanding the ball flight of it's so important. I mean, all these aspects are so important, but for me, what would have helped the most probably development wise was understanding that ball flight. Cause as a submariner, if you don't know the game part of it, you aren't, you're never touching the field. Like coaches right. do not trust you. If you, if you're a low, low arm slot guy, you're typically used in high leverage situation, which means teams are trying to bunt. They're trying to steal. They're trying to get just any way they can scratch one across. So you need to be on your game as a relief pitcher, especially a closer. So I think the game part I had down decent enough that I could I could fake it. but knowing where my ball is going and how I'm influencing it, I think would be huge, especially because like in college my whole pitch plan was just throw it right down the middle. And it sometimes move, it yeah. worked. a few times it didn't. Um, mm-hmm. Most people know the times it didn't. It's pretty obvious. but for me it was just that was the simplest way I could think about pitch tunneling. Pitch tunneling is like the most important thing a pitcher can do effectively for me like i don't care if your fastball is 20 miles an hour and your changeup's 15 and your sliders at 18 if you can make them look the same till they're 15 feet in front of the plate good luck and mm-hmm. so especially coming from a weird slot because it's like okay we did not see this when we were taking batting practice we've never taken bp off submarine guys unless i left one down the middle then a few guys have um, but it, it's just one of those things where if you can get the ball to be within a couple of inches of the same trajectory, even if it's a different speed and it's going to be a different shape, hitters just really can't tell what's coming. Like hitting is the hardest thing to do in sports. And yep. if you can make two pitches look the same for the most part, hitting becomes almost impossible. So for me, I, I had a pitching coach my freshman year named Justin Asperger who said, Look, just throw try to go right down the middle. Your fastball will break into righties. It'll break away from righties as well. And you just create this nice little, nice little X sort of thing with movement style in your pitches, and you'll have success. And I think that's one thing that stuck with me. And I would have loved like a deeper understanding of what other pitch grips were doing. Like if I if I had the opportunity to be in the Wake Forest pitching lab, I would not throw the same pitch twice. I would throw like a million different grips. So I could understand how each grip is manipulating it. And, you know, part of this might be from the fact that I've never taken a physics class in my life. Um, the summer packet for physics class in high school is way thicker than the biology packet. How'd you get out of that class? I had to take it and it was miserable. So I took biology and anatomy. They both counted for half credits, but or you could have gotten one full credit from uh, physics. Physics. And, oh, I
2: see. Yeah. Anatomy sounds awful too. So I guess it's all the same.
1: Yeah. I just figured I had the study guide on me at all times. So I was like, okay, I oh, can figure some point. of this out. Plus my friend, Chris was in it. He's going to be a surgeon in a couple of years. So he paid more attention than I did. Oh, uh, you Chris. Yeah. If if you're in the DC area and you're about to be operated on by Chris, Hey, what's going on? Tell him you sit, you listen Chris to the shock got, factor podcast. Chris got
2: two A's in anatomy <laughs> that year. Well yeah, done,
1: Chris. He, he, he was super good. <laughs> Definitely trust <laughs> No, smartest guy I know, but I, I I think just not having that physics background, it's been something that's always interested me and I've always kind of regretted not knowing physics. Maybe I'll read a book, Physics for Dummies, or something like that, and report back to you. But I think that would just be so interesting to delve into and know more mm-hmm. of of like because like the guy for the Giants, for example, he's a submariner, he throws a pitch that looks like it's rising. I don't care if my UCL if my ucl is going to blow out in the process i want to try to do that just once like one time would be cool like hey i broke gravity today sure sign me up can you
2: imagine hitting like even even hitting just a normal submariner steven it's like the hitting perspective on it is that you have to everything your eyes are telling the rest of your body you have to convince the rest of your body that hey if the eyes are talking to you guys it's a lie Your eyes are a liar today. So for instance, the the arm slot, if I'm a right-hand hitter, the arm slot is like third base, and my eyes are telling my front shoulder to fly open. So I've got to now have my brain tell my front shoulder, hey, if the eyes speak to you, they are a liar. You do not listen to the eyeballs. And then- if the pitch is up, it's going to be a ball. If it's, if it's up, it's going to be a strike. So you, again, if the eyes say it's a ball up, you got to tell your hand swing. And if your eyes say it's right down the middle and, and, you know, in the zone, it's going to be out of the zone by the time it gets on plate. So again, like you got to rewire your complete operation as a hitter. It's, and you got to do it for that day and that day only once Steven comes out of the game. Now I got to repair all the wiring. It's, it's heinous.
1: Yeah, no, being a submariner is kind of kind of a mean guy move, in my opinion. Um, because it's so, like this isn't the way the game's supposed to be played. But at the same time, they let me do it. So I'm gonna keep awesome. doing it. But oh, yeah. I honestly, you just did a great breakdown of how to hit submarine pitching. Cause for me, I would always think right-handed hitters are their first move, that shoulders coming back. I'm just gonna throw a backdoor fastball low and away. It's gonna be unhittable. Then after they take that pitch, if I execute it, if I don't execute it, I just do it again. Because why not? Um, They want to see a couple. I want to throw a couple. And if I execute that, then I just throw the slider right down the middle and let it kind of take off and become a ball. But they're like, "Uh, well, I can't do that again. And then they swing and then it's just good luck, what have you. But if I had a rise ball, that would really. That would really mix things up. Yeah,
2: what you said, literally defying gravity. So, yeah, it, it, the stuff people are throwing nowadays is just criminal, but it's cool. It, it, it's like some of these pitches you'd see in big league games are just unbelievable. Oh,
1: it's insane, and that, that's a great description. I'm glad I got out of the game when I did because everybody's doing crazy stuff now. Everybody's reckless, like the amount of stuff <laughs> they can pull off. Like, They're you're either pitch- a magician or you're a god.
2: Yeah, that's right. Well said. That's right. we only two. We only have two acceptable categories on the mound of the big leagues. You're either Houdini or you're a God. Well said.
1: Yeah, it's I, I saw a guy for the Rockies. I think his name is Justin Lawrence. Throw 100 miles an hour submarine. What are you doing, dude? Think about the children. Think about people who are watching yes. this. That's not fair.
2: Yeah. He's ruining it for future generations. Amen. It
1: it was pitching ninja posted a video 85 mile an hour slider from him. I'm like, okay, that's my fastball. Thanks. Thanks.
2: Thanks world. Crazy. (laughs) Steven, this was fun. Well done. Yeah, this was a blast.
1: Thank you as always for joining me and dropping so much knowledge on me. I I feel like I've learned so much and I feel like I'm going to learn so much every, every week. And it's crazy to me because this is just the way you relax. This is your oasis and you have this much information. I, I'm, I'm a very fortunate man to have you here.
2: Well, I, I, hey, next time we do the podcast, I'm going to move a couch in here and I'm going to lay down like a proper therapy session. This is amazing. <laughs> feel free.
1: Feel free. I'll wear a sweater. <laughs> Doctor. I'll Shock. wear a sweater. <laughs> well, that's all we have for this week. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Couldn't tell you how much we appreciate it. Rooney, you want to take us away?
2: Yeah, uh, this, was, this was great. Uh, we will catch you next week. Everyone have a great weekend. Uh, and, and that's it. We will catch you next time on the Shock Factor, d1baseball.com podcast. The Shock Factor podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts